The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. If you found 100 bucks on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. And are we the best at betting? No, we're not. We just bet on the Steelers. Go steal, man. What's the line? 14? Give it to me. Don't care. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season on the Steelers, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you're saying, oh, man, what do I do? Guess what? You're going to Benedict Arnold it. You can actually just flip to the other side and change your bet. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you will multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code chair to activate the offer chair is an armchair this really helps us out you guys if you give us that little referral and it really helps you out especially considering that my bookie will double that first deposit so use that promo code chair visit mybookie.ag online today you play you win you get paid Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. Hey, if you lived an unworthy life in this lifetime, you may be relegated throughout eternity to watch the fourth quarter of the fourth game of preseason games. Mm. I already said eternity, didn't I? Can I try that again? For a double eternity. (laughs) If you lived an unworthy life in this lifetime... You may be relegated to watching only the fourth quarter of the fourth game of preseasons throughout eternity. That's when I turned into the Steelers losing proposition with the Panthers this last Thursday night. And man, it was horrendous. It was as bad as I ever (laughs) remembered it. This has been a really good preseason. It's been fun. There are a lot of guys who are following, a lot of guys who are on the edge, and we're going to talk about who made it and who didn't. I was especially interested to watch Devlin Hodges. He, you know what he looked like? He looked like you when you made that. You were uh, they put you in the varsity game as a sophomore with the eight string line when you right. were just basically running away for your life. Yeah, good times. They I think that they actually had those same linemen who were not blocking for me in Bethesda, Maryland, in you know two thousand and seven or whatever it was. I think those guys were actually the guys playing on the Steelers' offensive line. But you're right. The fourth quarter, the fourth preseason game, thank goodness it's over. In, in one way, there's compelling story, you know, because these dudes are literally fighting for their lives, many of which will not be able to make an NFL career. But 
are you going to be the American Idol? Are you going to be the one shooting star to make it? So that's going on, but it doesn't make it any more fun to watch. It is September 1st, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost, and we have a shiny new toy. It's a final 53-man roster. We're going to break it down for you today. The cuts have been made. It's not entirely set in stone. There can be some IR moves that are made, You know, especially when talking about Justin Lane or Ola Adinie. Some guys might get brought back onto the 53. Some guys might get brought to the practice squad. There are some tight ends out there who have been cut, so the Steelers are definitely going to be looking at those guys. But overall, you have your 53. And, you know, we were just talking about the fourth quarter of a fourth preseason game. Yeah, that's kind of tough to watch, but that might be one of the last fourth quarters of the fourth quarter preseason games that we might be watching because the NFL is definitely interested in lowering the number of preseason games down from four to two in the future. So maybe that's something we'll get into a little bit later. But for now, we don't have to spend much more time on this preseason football because we have about one week till Steelers football starts and less than one week till NFL football starts. The thing that I was most looking forward to is counting the number of players from Toledo that would make the final roster. And three of the five guys made it. Ola, yep. Deontay Johnson, and who's our skipper. skipper. Man, Fan he of, he of the Yeah, he of the Twitter sphere. The total, I think there would have been a revolt if he hadn't made the team based on all the Twitter yeah. I saw. Yeah, exactly. So I guess we can go down the roster kind of position by position and just give a little bit of uh, a blurb on what we think. I mean, so much of this is obvious, you know, a lot of guys who are going to make it. But it was really interesting this year to see how they have switched the prioritization of certain position groups. And it seemed like by the end of that preseason, especially after that third preseason game where Skipper showed out again, you could tell that you had a real player in your hands and this guy was going to have to make the roster somehow. When at the same time, someone like Chicolo, who the fans all seem to want to cut all the time because of his low sort of ceiling as a pass rusher, but he is a good depth player and he's an excellent special teams player and the Steelers value that. So knowing that they probably were not going to cut Chicolo, you kind of wondered what are they going to do to make room for Skipper and are, are they going to keep him? Even though I agree, like the consensus was they, they know that they got to keep this guy. So the kind of most interesting things that have happened was, yep, they kept him. It seems like they made room for Skipper by cutting down on the number of wide receivers they have. And then I think that would be the most uh, interesting sort of secondary plot is the cutting of Eli Rogers, who is a well-known stealer. He has been a core – I wouldn't say a core contributor, but he's been a contributor for the past four years. The only issue with Eli is that – you know, he'd been injured pretty consistently. He missed a year here or there. He actually had a, a fantastic game against the Jaguars in that horrible, horrible playoff loss, of which we do not speak of. Uh, and then he tore his ACL right uh, as that game was getting going and then, you know, missed some time the next year. So Eli's a big name. He's made some big plays for the Steelers, maybe none bigger than the incredible Superman catch he made on third and long on 
the Christmas Day, one of my favorite Steelers victories of all time when they made the comeback and beat the Ravens with the immaculate extension from Ben to AP. But Eli made a huge grab on that drive, and he also had a game-winning touchdown against the Cincinnati Bengals in the perfect era. So he's had some huge plays, but um, I guess the Steelers think that Ryan Switzer and Eli Rogers are basically the same guy, and Switzer gives you a little bit more versatility. So he was cut. It's interesting to see that they're just five wide receivers. It looks thin, like all these guys will have to dress for every single game, but we we can't really afford a, an injury. I just would have expected to see six receivers there. Right. And, and as that. you said, I know that something things could change. I mean, are we still looking for a tight end to bring in? I mean, there are other things, other roster moves might be uh, in the offing here. Right. It's interesting. Some people on Twitter were making the point, too, that Steelers threw more than any other team in the league last year, and probably expect to do much of the same this year and it's interesting that you're only going to roll with five wide receivers when you're going to need a lot of them but they had to do something to make room for players at other positions and i I definitely can agree with it i'm sad to see eli go maybe he will come back i would expect that he's i mean he's definitely good enough to play on another team in my opinion he's good enough to start on another team as a slot receiver but we got a couple different guys who can get the job done and uh so Sad to see him go, but they also know that there's guys like Griffey and Tevin Jones and and some other dudes who might clear the waiver wires and they can pick these guys up for the practice squad. I guess the other big name that people were wondering about, mainly over the last week, especially after his huge performance in that fourth preseason game, is Johnny Holton, number 80, the all-Swiss Army knife deep threat over the preseason for the Steelers. He caught a couple really nice deep balls. He's made tackles on special team. He's had returns and has some real versatility and his name was picking up a lot of buzz in the last week but he ended up not making it sort of disappointed to see that at first because you know you get tempted by his deep receptions against the fourth team in that last game but he had made some big plays throughout the course of the preseason and I liked the idea of having a guy on the team who can really get downfield because that's going to be Washington's role but like I said you know Washington isn't a burner. It would be nice that, and I guess Holton isn't a burner either, but after I thought about it for a little while, you know, Johnny Holton was promising, but look at the names uh, above him. You, you got Juju, you got Dante Moncrief, Washington, Deontay Johnson. I think, you know, him missing a lot of time in the preseason has caused the fans to sort of forget about him, but he's a guy who can get deep as well. I mean, there's no burn, there's no four, three burners on the team right now but Johnson and Washington can get deep and then obviously uh, Ryan Switzer playing in the slot so Holton didn't make it but Tazar Skipper did Eli Rogers famous Steeler he's out of the picture it looks like so if you look at the offensive line essentially no changes there Zach Banner who was on the practice squad last year right that's how we ended the year I think so I Um, think maybe he bumped up because of uh, well he's yeah he spent some time on the team do you want to go down in order are the positionless? Why don't we just why don't we start hitting this in more of an organizational way? Because the first group will be the quarterbacks, and that was already an interesting plot. I think that the fans might have been overthinking the Josh Dobbs situation of trading him to the Colts if they need a new backup quarterback with Andrew Luck retiring, or seeing or Cunningham, or seeing what Devlin Hodges can do. But at the end of the day, they're keeping three quarterbacks, and we probably should have known that the whole time, right? Hopefully Hodges clears waivers and can make it to the practice squad, but he did put some good tape out there in the preseason, so he might get picked up by someone. But you know what? I tend to agree with the quarterback depth chart. You got Ben, 
obviously at number one, then Mason Rudolph, I think, really cemented himself as the number two in the preseason. I mean, he just knows how to play the position better. He's got great timing on his drops and his routes, great footwork. He showed some real nice pocket mobility. You always use the Brady comparison. Dan Marino's another one when you're talking about slow white guys who actually do move well. He displayed a lot of that. Great touch on his passes. And he just he reads the field quickly and, and delivers the ball the way you want it to. And he's very aggressive passing the ball downfield and throws a nice little lob ball. So I'm glad to see that he separated himself, as he should, if they allegedly had a first-round grade on the guy from a year ago. It seems like in this era of the NFL, there are a lot of good starting quarterbacks as opposed to like five years ago when it felt like half the quarterbacks wouldn't yeah. be starting if – there were enough good quarterbacks. How would you rate Dobbs and Rudolph against Charlie Batch? It's a different era. You know, the rules are different. They support the passing game more. Charlie Batch probably grew up handing the ball off 25 times a game at every level of football, whereas Rudolph and Dobbs are probably in passing camps doing seven on seven since eighth grade. And, you know, the spread offenses in college and all that. So, I, I almost can't really compare them, but what I do like about Rudolph and Dobbs to an extent is they attack downfield more than Charlie did or Byron Leftwich. And, and, and Byron and Charlie did throw the ball downfield a decent amount, especially you know playing for Bruce Arians. That was the point of the offense, but these guys seem a little better suited to doing that. Well, rather than look at style of play, which obviously changes, how about level of confidence if they come into the game? Well, the thing is, when Charlie was on the team, you had a lights-out defense. So it's just almost no comparison. And he had some big games for the Steelers. He had a great game against the Ravens. He had three touchdowns against the Buccaneers with Mike Wallace. I remember that. So you always felt so confident whenever Charlie went in the game. But it seemed like in Ben's early career, anytime Ben would miss games, we'd go 3-1. and one, But so much of that is because you had a dominant defense. But I do feel better about... Mason Rudolph going into a game, I mean, knock on wood that he doesn't have to, I bet feel better about him than I did about Landry Jones, who fans love to hate on. But by the end there, you felt okay about Landry going in. Dobbs, so Dobbs being the third quarterback, here's the thing. He's improved every year. I mean, in one way, that's not saying a lot because he was so apocalyptically bad his rookie year. But the thing for him is he is good for at least one interception every half. I mean, I don't think the Steelers' uh, offense even scored a touchdown with him on the field in the preseason, and he threw an interception in pretty much every game he played in. He, I think his running actually improved. You see him break tackles. You see him hitting long runs, and that's actually pretty exciting because you know if you get down to your third quarterback, it's kind of like, well, you're screwed anyways. Maybe this guy can just make some sort of play with his legs, and I like to see how aggressive he is down the field throwing the ball. He's not scared to do that, but the guy is just not accurate. I think that he'll continue to improve, but when you are a very inaccurate passer like that, it's not going to ever come together. It it doesn't just come together. You don't become an accurate passer. This guy's going to be a liability for an interception every time he goes on the field. But as far as third-string quarterbacks go, he he plays with the confidence and he's got some physical skills for sure. We move on to the running backs. We essentially swapped Benny Snell for Stephen Ridley. And there was a lot. There was a lot of talk at the end. A lot of conjecture, obviously, that uh, Snell might not be on the roster based on the preseason performance. Yeah, I was tweeting back and forth with our buddy Tony Serino of Locked On Steelers, and he was 
predicting that Benny Snell would not make the roster. And I could definitely see the merit to that because I think a guy like Trey Edmonds, you know, surprisingly, he's just a better option for this year. He's in better NFL shape. He's a thousand times better blocker. He's a better stronger runner who doesn't get brought down at first contact like Benny Snell often does. And yeah, Benny Snell looked terrible in the preseason and he looks incredibly slow, incredibly unathletic, but he did have flashes of breaking some tackles on like a fourth and one run. He had a nice catch out of the backfield here or there where he looked sort of fluid. He looks like he knows how to play the running back position. He just might fall into that classic mold of like he's going to need to lose ten to fifteen pounds and come back his second year and 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 be, you know, better. And I expect that to happen. But even with Connor, like Connor, still looked good his rookie year. He was horrific in pass blocking, but he still ripped off like an eight yard run every time he came to the game and looked fast and physical. Whereas Benny Snell doesn't look like that at all. So I get people wanting him to get cut. You're you're impatient but you know maybe not impatient but you know you just said there wasn't a lot to hang your hat on when you watch him play over the preseason but the Steelers invested a lot in this guy and they want to give him the one year to improve and I think that that's a good idea I think that if he doesn't show marked improvement next year in the preseason then I do think you have to just go with the sunk cost theory and be like hey I know we drafted this guy relatively high but we're not going to keep him just for that reason. He's got to go. But I do want to give him the one year um, of being able to shed that weight and show the improvement like Bell, Washington, Connor, and especially Samuels, who I didn't really think was very impressive in his rookie preseason. All those guys showed that improvement. So let's give Benny Snell one more year. So same thing with the tight ends. We we essentially swapped Zach Gentry for the outlaw, who really didn't – yeah, I know. It's, it's a real tentative, and I guess this is still an open question for the Steelers. People are talking as if, and I think Mike Tomlin made a yeah. comment. He didn't directly say he's trading for another tight end, but it seems that that's a possibility. Yeah, they asked him, the media asked him, like, what do you think of the tight ends? How have they been doing? And he basically said, not enough. They're not doing well. So we knew that this was a huge question. I think before the season started, you and I kept saying tight end and kicker are the biggest question marks on the team just because – Vance McDonald can be downright dominant when he's healthy and he's on, but listen, man, he I I think he'll improve this year because I think he'll be a bigger part of the game plan without so much of it being dedicated towards getting A B the ball. I think you're gonna try and get the ball a little bit more to Vance and I mean obviously Juju's gonna be the number one, but he's good for some drops. He's good for disappearing sometimes. And he's good for a couple games miss of injury, and that's just kind of the player he is. And even Randy Feetner admitted that. He said, no, he's never going to play any more snaps than he played last year, which was, I don't remember the percentage, but it was a surprisingly low percentage of snaps, especially when you compare it to Jesse James or Heath, who would play like 100% of the snaps every year. And the offensive coordinator straight up came out and said, yeah, the guy's got you know an injury history. We, we have to monitor his reps. So before the season started, we knew, hey, maybe – you know, Grimble's kind of had all the chances in the world, it seems like, to prove himself as a adequate tight end. And he's had some flashes of great plays for the Steelers. But now he had his big chance, and it seems like he's still not he, – he's never really going to come through as a reliable type of guy. So there are a couple names on the waiver wire. I know Luke Wilson, the former Seahawks tight end, he's out there. I'd love to grab him. I haven't had a chance to see him play that much recently, but I really expect the Steelers to bring in another tight end because Gentry, who was also hurt, I believe, not impressive. Grimble, 
not that impressive. And Vance, love them, but not totally reliable. They're going to need to bring somebody else in. All right, so I already alluded to the offensive line. Again, it seems basically bringing Zach Banner up permanently from the practice squad. I, I Fred think, Johnson. Uh, Fred, Fred Johnson. Johnson. That's the well, big one. That's the story of the offensive line. So you have all the studs that we know about, but Fred Johnson, undrafted, rookie free agent, makes the team. The Steelers are so good at finding these guys, especially when it comes to the offensive line. I mean, three of the starters are undrafted yeah. free agents. Foster, Villanueva, and Filer, I believe, is undrafted, right? So... Listen, Mike Munchak, I got to give him a lot of that credit for molding those guys into starting really good players. I mean, Villanueva was a receiver, which that should have never happened, at Army. Although maybe I take that back. He had some nice touchdowns in in his time there. But uh, let's see if Sean Surratt and the Steelers coaching staff can mold a guy like a Fred Johnson who earned his roster spot. But you like to see that. These undrafted guys, you know, make the team. I just wonder if they're going to be able to develop him like they developed the guys before him. You know what? As you're looking at the age of the offensive line, you do feel, uh, you know, you've got yeah. to have this youth coming in. Ramon Foster's 33. Still feels, I, I still feel very confident with him. DeCastro's 29, no, no question there. Wow. So Fred Johnson. He was yeah, yeah, he's seven years into it. Yeah, right? the, this line is getting older. Listen, the window it. is closing. Anybody who says, I, I, there's this opinion where people say like there's no such thing as a Super Bowl window. You are an idiot. <laughs> yes, there is. Are the Cardinals? Can the Cardinals win the Super Bowl this year? No. Can the Redskins win? No, they can't. It's not going to happen. Listen, I mean, maybe there's a miracle, but there's definitely a time when you are most likely to have a chance at winning the Super Bowl when you have get this the most amount of good players on your team. So a Super Bowl doesn't mean like, oh, once you're out of this Super Bowl window, the team's going to suck for eternity. Like Nobody's saying that, but there is a time when, when you are most likely to have a shot at that. And the Steelers' shot at that has been revolving around Ben Roethlisberger's career and the offensive line's career. And now they're really getting towards the twilight. And yes, there is an influx of young talent. The Steelers are one of the 10 youngest teams in the NFL, but they also have this experience with, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, they've been around for Super Bowls. And then other guys like Foster and Pouncey, they've been around for Super Bowls too as well, actually. But countless playoff games. Even dudes like Vince Williams, who's not that old, he's played in a bunch of playoff games. So they have this great mix of youth and experience. But there's no denying this line is getting up there in age. And there is no more important position where you need depth except for offensive line you see it every year these guys are going to miss one or two games each can you plug someone in like they plugged Villanueva in like they plugged Filer in can you withstand those injuries and and keep the ship afloat you know especially when you're talking about an older offensive line and seeing guys like Fred Johnson really earn his roster spot and not make it just as a default that's really encouraging so Al Alejandro Villanueva is thirty. Do you know how old Filer is? Thirty. No, but wouldn't you think he was twenty-five and he just sort of came on the scene? He's twenty-seven yeah, huh. with three years of experience. So he must have gone on a mission trip or something. I don't know. He's out of Bloomsburg though, so figure that out. Huh. Interesting. So if we can just recap the offense and just a general thumbs up, thumbs down on their prospects relative to the talent in the NFL, we talked about the quarterbacks. I mean, That's we a good quarterback. We know we, we know your opinion about the quarterback. We have the number one quarterback in the NFL of all time, right? Yeah. How about the backfield? 
relative to everybody else. I think James Conner is going to be awesome this year. I thought he had uh, flashes of brilliance last year. Obviously, that campaign was marred by some very bad fumbles at very bad times of the game and just injury and inconsistency and then also suffer from a little bit of the things that Bell did when they just kind of didn't give him the ball in a few games but he came out like a bat out of hell with like 250 yards in the first game against Cleveland and I just think that I said this last week I think people traditionally in Pittsburgh have maybe overrated James Conner a little bit for for deserved reasons. He's a local hero. He's a national. He's an international hero. The man beat cancer to come back and play football, and he went to Pitt, and he's just a great guy, and he cut the mullet, so you got to really like it. Once again, I'm pro-mullet, but I'm not pro-whatever bastardization of the mullet he wore last year. That was unacceptable. So it's right to love him, but sometimes I think – Pittsburgh, you know, gets black and gold colored glasses or blue and gold when it comes to Pitt, saying, oh, he's a Pitt, he's a local hero. Oh, we hate Le'Veon Bell now because he he abandoned us. This guy's going to be just as good. And I have always wanted to say, like, okay, hold your horses on that. Le'Veon Bell is transcendent talent, really. So, but conversely, I think the national media actually underrates James Conner traditionally, because of Le'Veon Bell, again, people want to defend Bell and you know his his right to get the money that he thinks he deserves, which I agree. Um, but then they say, you know, you, the stats may look the same, but James Conner's not nearly as good as Le'Veon Bell. And I disagree with that, too. I think Le'Veon Bell is, is better than James Conner, but I don't think it's by a lot. I think James Conner, it's, it's not quite as pretty with him. Like, Le'Veon Bell is so fluid and when he makes his cuts and with everything he does. And uh, Connor's a little bit herky-jerky. But that man has power. And he has speed. He bursts out of a cannon every time he touches the ball. And he makes people miss one-on-one in, in, in the open field. He breaks a lot of long runs. And I think he's going to have a great year this year if he can stay healthy. And that's where the depth comes in because I like Samuels. He looks smooth. But I don't feel the way about him like I did having Connor as the backup or D'Angelo Williams as the backup. And then I really don't feel comfortable with Benny Snell going in the game. Uh, as far as the wide receivers go, you know, we know Juju. It just feels like this could be boom or bust, that this this squad is a ton of potential. Right. But we need to see it. 100% agree. And there's been flashes. Juju's had some great games when AB didn't play. You know, so we've sort of seen him play that number one wide receiver role. I know the last game, you know, the unexpected game, the Bengals game, they thought they were going to have A.B., so you can understand why uh, Juju was held to like 33 yards and a touchdown. But I think the other two games, he had like 120-plus receiving yards. So we've seen it, but now it's real. They're gonna, people are going to plan for Juju, so we need to see him come out with that. Moncrief, he played really well in the – for the Colts, we expect him to do well with Ben. The reports are he's done well in practice. We need to see it. Washington, another unbelievable preseason, even better than the first one. We need to see it. So I agree. A lot of potential, but we got to see how it's going to work, and especially with a quarterback like Ben who's more artist than athlete sometimes or more artist than scientist, you know. So for him, it's a lot of feel. So he's got to link up with some of these guys early, I think, to – get that chemistry going. And am I characterizing it correctly to say we're just short of scared to death with regard to the tight end situation? You've characterized that correctly. Yes. And I think we can also agree. The offensive line is tremendous and we're not worried at all. And we're very happy with the new depth. They're in good hands. 
all right, now you're the one who calls the order on this stuff. What, what, what's the position group we're going to focus on on defense? So I figure we go with defensive end, then nose tackle, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, corner, safety, and then we'll go with the special teams guys. But let's just – we can even just kind of group the defensive line together. If you look at this defensive line room, this is awesome. This is the best room I can remember in a long time. You got Cam Hayward, Stefan Tuitt. Javon Hargrave, we know what we have with all three of those guys. Pro Bowl caliber players. And yes, I do think Hargrave, who we're probably going to lose next year, by the way, everybody, because they didn't extend him. He's more of a 4-3 guy, I guess. But I think that he has Pro Bowl caliber. Not saying he'll make it or not saying Tuit would make it, but they have moments of that. We need to see the consistency from Tuit. Then you have Tyson Alulu, one of your and my favorite guys. Great depth piece. Daniel McCullers who has a great NFL story because last year everybody assumed he would get cut. He had been pretty much horrific for his whole NFL career, but he really earned his roster spot last year in the preseason. And if you thought it was a blip on radar, no, it wasn't. He played even better this year, and it looks like he really knows his role as a space eater. You know, he's seven foot five, 640 pounds, and he does a good job pushing the pocket. And he's played even better. And I don't know if it's like his fifth year or something like that, but he really earned his roster spot. So you can be happy with that. He's had some experience in big games or just games, period. And then the last guy to make it is sixth round pick, uh, sixth, seventh round pick, Isaiah Bugs. And that's great to see your late round picks making the roster and really earning the roster spot as opposed to some of the guys who just kind of made it by default in the past years. Yeah, I agree. It's, and uh, as we go through, I think just your opinion on their uh, on their upside for the season. We know what same, we have. Same line, Cam. right? Yeah. We know what we have in Cam. I talked about this on the podcast a little bit last week. That they're huge. They have really good size on the defensive line and on the offensive line, and that's the part of football that a lot of the casual fan does not pay attention to. You can push people around in the trenches. You're going to be in a lot of games. And then when you put a Ben Roethlisberger behind center, you know, on the offensive side, making plays, or hopefully a you know Devin Bush making plays on the defensive side, that's when you start getting elite teams. I also really like how this defensive line, if if just we need the consistency from Tuit, who is madding, maddeningly inconsistent, and I just want to see more. Hargrave on the field because when those guys are performing, they really can show it. And it's a good matchup for the teams that the Steelers are going to be playing against. The Patriots are a power running team now. Tom Brady can beat anybody, of course, but he's not doing the old Tom Brady of, you know, 2015 where he's going to throw it 50 times. They want to run the ball right at you. The Steelers match up really well with that. The Cleveland Browns have a problem with their offensive line. The Steelers' defensive line matches up really well with that. And then you know, of course, the Ravens, all of their linemen are over 400 pounds, and we know they want to run the ball. So the Steelers hopefully match up pretty well with that. So I like where the Steelers are at with the defensive line. It has players, and it has an identity. Well, speaking of the run game, then who the guys standing behind the defensive line, there's a actually kind of a massive switch. So we had Vince and Bostick. Thanks. Already forgotten about him. Sorry. But we replaced him with another B guy, Mark Barron. Right. But the lead story, obviously, is Devin Bush. And yeah. I, maybe I shouldn't say not far behind, but also President Ulysses Gilbert. Yes, he made it. So he's another one I meant to mention at the top of the top of the hour. What was he, fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick? He was a late round pick. I was so excited when we drafted this guy. We talked, to, we talked about Ulysses 
Gilbert. He's got like four three speed. He's like almost as fast as Devin Bush or four four speed. Excuse me. And he missed many tackles at uh, where did he go? Akron, Toledo. Toledo. He's a Toledo guy too. Uh, hold on, looking right at him. No, he's Akron. Yeah, Akron. Akron exactly. It's all the same thing. Kent State. We need another Kent State. Yeah, guy. they should just form one major school and try and beat Ohio State for the title of Ohio State. And if they win, they get to be Ohio State. And Ohio State has to go be just like Ohio A and M or something. Anyways, this is uh, another position group that uh, the numbers have changed a little bit. Last year, I believe they only went with four people. Like you said, it was Vinny, Bostic, Dirty Red, and Fort. This year, you got Vinny, you got Devin Bush, Mark Barron, Dirty Red, and Ulysses Gilbert, who, like I said, that's the kind of guy you want to take in late rounds. Gilbert's so fast. He's so athletic. He overran a lot of plays at Akron, but that's the kind of raw guy who you're like, hey, worst case scenario, this guy could be a special team star with that type of athleticism. And best case scenario, you get the Steelers fans' wet dream of having Devin Bush and Ulysses Gilbert eventually being the starting linebackers, and then they'll basically be as fast as the Steelers' starting receivers at that point. But when I look at this group, again, it's taken a long time. The Shazier injury, of course, put the Steelers back a little bit, but you got three starters on this team. You got Bush, who hopefully is a star right away. You know, worst case scenario, it'll take a little while, but he's looking good so far. And then you got Vinny and Mark Barron, who are kind of more like bottom end of the league starters as far as an inside linebacker goes. I know a lot of Steelers fans out there, you might be mad that I'm calling Vince Williams a, a bottom end starter. And I don't mean that as an insult. Love Vince Williams, one of my favorite players. I think one of the most important leaders on the Steelers team, but he has limited what he can do athletically, particularly in coverage. But he does bring the boom. He's a great blitzing linebacker. He knows the defense, and he's he's a great leader. And he definitely deserves to be a starter, but you can see him when he plays next to Devin Bush. Like, oh, that's what a top-end talent looks like. And Mark Barron's the same thing. He's not a top-end talent, but he's a starter. He's a starter for a Super Bowl team uh, that, that actually played very well against the Patriots offense in that Super Bowl. So that's what I like to see is you got two guys, like if one of those guys comes off the field, another starter goes in. Whereas in years past, somebody would go down and Matikiewicz would would have to go in. And yeah, so they just got, uh, they got good depth there. And and Matikiewicz and Gilbert should be special team superstars. So that's a really great room as well. And, and, And they took an extra guy at that position, and I'm glad they did because I thought that Gilbert, that's kind of a guy that's too good to pass up with that upside. Yeah, really strengthened the inside, in the middle of the field. And I also feel the same way about the outside linebackers. I mean, we still have Bud and TJ starting, uh, but I just feel like his stock is pointing north, and yeah. we have to hope that he doesn't get injured, and we'll see what happens. Then I thought he had a pretty good preseason for the amount of time he played. Chicolo yeah. will be back. And Ola showed a lot. I mean, he, he really does need to perform against starters before we're believers, and he's he's got to overcome I think he was – is he injured? He's not on the IR right now, is he? He's not on the IR, but he's out for, you know, four to, four to eight weeks as of, you know, two weeks Some ago. Some double so, secret probation or something. Yeah, hopefully his career doesn't get screwed by injuries. This is the second year where he's been injured. That That is something to look at. Like, I hate to tell you guys, people who get injured a lot, get injured a lot. I sort of expect Bud to get injured. He's gotten injured every year, you know? So I hope he does not because I agree. We've talked about Bud about being a, a serviceable starting 
edge player. The only reason why he gets a lot of hate is because he was drafted to be a star. You know, he's a first-round guy, top 16 type guy, or whatever it was. But he really flashed in the preseason, and him in tandem with Watt, Watt needs to be the guy this year who takes the, the next step, right? He needs to go from a really good player to he needs to make the Pro Bowl to, to me. Like, he needs to be a star player, and he really has shown that that's kind of the trajectory he's on. So Watt and Dupree, that's a great starting tandem. They have a lot of experience. They're young. They're very athletic. Chicolo made the team, like we said before. He's a special team star. You don't want him going in to pass rush anybody. And then Ola Adenier and Tazara Skipper, those are guys who you could think one of those guys could end up replacing Bud Dupree after this year. You know, Bud is on the last year of his contract. He's in the fifth-year option. I think if he plays really well, the Steelers might let him walk and go get paid by somebody else because they know that T.J. Watt's contract is coming down the pipeline, and you might only want to allocate the big contract to one of those guys. And then if he doesn't play really well, then you let him walk, and like I said, you let Ola and Tuzar Skipper battle it out the next year. So you really have potential in the pipeline, whereas, like we said last year, Chicolo's your your next guy up. That's that's sort of a stopgap solution rather than having people waiting in the wings like, hey, maybe these guys could be starters at some point. That wasn't Chicolo. You have that now. And I think they give you some special teams value too. Skipper, they finally let him play special teams at the end there, and he made a couple tackles immediately. So, good. Yeah, so then moving moving further back, we'll talk about cornerbacks. I mean, you, you do have Joe Hayden back. We uh, see Steven Nelson being the, the right cornerback, backed up by Artie Burns, who actually had you know fairly good preseason remains to be seen how he performs what's really interesting if you go on steelers.com and look at their depth chart cameron kelly is listed there's nobody listed as the second team left cornerback he's there's a big gap and then cameron kelly is uh this is the third cornerback which i mean designated special teams guy he had i thought he had a fantastic preseason he's kind of a darling uh yeah out of that thing for me Right. Well, we can. We'll get into the safeties, I guess. Like right after this, I'm with you. But I think he's played cornerback before. He's I'm played sorry. Everything. I just I said Cameron Kelly. Cam's I meant out. Justin Lane. Sorry. Oh, Justin Lane. Well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I understand their names. But actually, had a rough preseason. But he was horrific, and, and he's death. injured. Yeah. So, if you look at the corners, I'm actually a little. I like the corners. I mean, they have the. It's the best secondary the Steelers have had in a long time with Hayden, Nelson, Hilton, and Sutton. I like that Hilton and Sutton. They have this positional flexibility to play at different spots, different safety spots in the nickel defense, and Tomlin has made that a huge priority so that the Steelers can get guys on the field and the the opposing offense doesn't know exactly what you're going to do. So love to see that from them. Artie Burns, hey, he surprised us. He made the roster. I'm still going to be scared if he has to go in the game. I'm sorry, man. I mean, his confidence was destroyed. I thought he played fine in preseason. I don't think he really, like, played out of his mind or anything like that. And Justin Lane, he's injured. But man, he did he did not look good. You gotta give him another year, but a lot of people were were low on him to begin with, so I I don't have a great feeling about Justin Lane. I wanna leave the door open for him, of course, but it does sort of suck that, you know, there is one guy in that position group, just like Benny Snell, who's like, we're keeping you on the roster to, because we drafted you and we hope you develop for next year. But if you get into a game this year, we're in trouble. Uh, and as you mentioned, going to safety, so free safety, Sean Davis, backed up by Cameron Kelly, strong safety, Terrell Edmonds, who, who's really coming on, especially in this preseason, backed up by Jordan Dangerfield. I was surprised. I thought Jordan Dangerfield was definitely one on the edge of the envelope as far as making this roster. 
I think he was cut like three or five times or something ridiculous like that the first three years in the NFL, and now he's made the Steelers roster outright three years in a row. I believe John Ledyard tweeted about that. That's an incredible story. And he does struggle in coverage. I had somebody tweet. <laughs> I was tweeting back and forth, I think, with Alex Kazora one day. And, and was asking about Kelly versus Dangerfield in the early days of the preseason and saying, like, hey, I know that Dangerfield is actually pretty good against the run, but he's a total liability in coverage. Is Cameron Kelly better in coverage? And, and Kazora basically agreed with me, and somebody tried to chime in on the Twitter feed and say, Dangerfield's a liability in coverage. Like, what are you smoking? What have you been watching? First off, you're, an, you're also an idiot. Because he's a complete liability in coverage if you've ever watched the Steelers play. But I just thought that was funny. Like, this guy must be related to Dangerfield. He's started, like, two games in his career. What about, what's with the vehement defending of the guy? But he is fantastic on special teams. And he does blow people up in the run game or when he tackles the catch. So cool to see him on the team. Cameron Kelly, I agree. I know you were sort of talking about Justin Lane, but... I know you were referring to Cameron Kelly when you were saying he was a preseason darling. He really was, and his story's amazing, too. He was like a two-star quarterback recruit coming out of college, and or coming out of high school. And he basically played every position there possibly is to play, and they found him after he got four picks in the legendary AAF. And he's a guy who will play a little bit in the nickel, and I like seeing him on the field. So, again, a good deep safety room. You need to see Terrell Edmonds take that step up. I mean, we all know that he wasn't really a first-round type of guy, but if he can emerge to be a very good starter, the Steelers are going to be in, 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 good, in good standing here. You need those rookies the high round rookies to develop into beast second year players. Yeah. So to round everything up, special teams, Jordan Berry, Chris Boswell, both uh, emerged from their so-called competition and Cameron Kennedy is a long snapper. Interesting. You know, we have two Camerons now spelled the same way. Kelly and Kennedy. Cameron with a K. I think they were roommates. So rounding out the uh, kick return duties will be handled by Ryan Switzer and Deontay Johnson. I like that. all in all, pending Chris Boswell, it seems like a very virile special team squad. Oh, Pretty it's confident. virile. And I know it's a little thing or two about virile, and so do our friends at Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? You want to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. You could take them anytime, day or night, on a full stomach or empty. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps your follow-through. Blue Chew is prescribed online, and it ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in line in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. When you use our special promo code armchair and just pay five bucks shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W dot com. Promo code armchair to try it free. 
Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And if I had to put money on Blue Chew working, I'd put all of it on working. Every last dollar. And I'd put that bet down on mybookie.ag. If you found 100 bucks on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? I already asked you this. Of course, you're going to take the money. So if you're already telling your friends who's going to win these football games, if you're listening to any of the armchair-sponsored NFL podcasts, especially the geniuses at Steelers Outpost Podcast, and you're getting the inside info, you know who's going to win this game, dude, make some money off of it. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best, because they are. So do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season... Bet with my bookie. Did you know that you can also bet on games after kickoff? You can do prop ga- prop bets. You can change your bet within the course of the game. If you want to be wishy-washy, I don't know what your strategy is. Mine is just stay on red, baby. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. So join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. You really want to try this Right now, that's the opportunity of a lifetime. Put a mill down. Risk it all. Steel men over New England. It's going to be a good line. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R. Visit mybookie.ag online today. You play, you win, you get paid. So real football starts next week, and it starts for the Steelers next Sunday night, September 8th, against the Patriots at 8.20 p.m. I'd much rather have seen that a.m. because that means I'm going to have to take <laughs> off Monday. It has to be done. And I already have. It will I be done. scheduled both my doctor's appointment, my doctor's and dentist appointment for Monday just so I can get extra into this game and maybe celebrate with a couple of cold cruisers after the Steelmen dispatch New England. Therefore, taking any momentum, any any little dreams that they think that they have of beating the Steelers an overall number of Super Bowls, they're going to take that momentum and they're going to fart on it right in the face of all the New England audience because the Steelmen are taking them down. I love that they're playing New England in the first game. And maybe some of that is me just posturing because nobody wants to play New England in New England. And I feel like the Steelers have beat the Patriots twice in a row. I'm counting the Jesse James catch as as winning. So you almost think like, wow, can, they never can beat the Patriots. And now they beat them twice in a row. Are they bound for a loss this time? I don't think football works this way. I think that the Steelers, you know, the Patriots, thankfully, have just gotten a little bit older and the Steelers match up better with what the Patriots try to do now. They are a power running team. When they used to spread us out and do the five wide and throw all over the field, it was torture. And it wasn't just the Patriots. Other teams would kill us like that. All the way back to Rich Gannon in Oakland or whether it was Drew Brees or whoever it was, that always gave the Steelers trouble because they couldn't get competent man-to-man coverage players. So if you want to play New England... I mean, you don't want to play New England. But if you have to, you want to play them early because those first few games is when they're a little bit more susceptible to losses. And while I'm upset that Josh Gordon will be playing wide receiver for the Patriots and he gives them a bigger deep threat, even though he hasn't been with the team for a little while, I do like the Steelers' chances of of beating the Patriots in the opening week just because the style of play is conducive to what the Steelers do. And they, they, they lost, uh, was it Lawrence Guy or they already lost Guy? They lost, basically the Patriots lost their starting center for the year. And they've also lost their best defensive tackle. So you're already diminished in the trenches where the Steelers are very strong. So 
The only thing I'm thinking is that Ben, the past few years, has taken a couple games to get going. Like we said, he's more of an artist than a scientist on the field, and he's kind of about feel and chemistry, and he needs to hit a couple deep ones to knock the saran wrap off, and we cannot afford for him to be sloppy. He needs to go out and connect with Washington and connect with Juju and Vance and, and Moncrief and these guys and get it going. Wasn't the difference this year his preparation, the fact he showed up for everything? We could, hey, maybe that's part of it. I mean, I think that he's going to be, Ben, he's an emotional guy. Like sometimes when you, when it's a game that you, it's like hard to get up for, like playing the Jets, he seems to throw stinkers sometimes that game. But if it's a night game uh, against the, the best team of the last few decades who's foiled him many times after he's been dragged and ripped through the media for six months straight, I think he's going to come out on fire. So if you look at that, that's usually kind of when Ben plays his best. But I will say the past few years, it's an under-talked-about story. His deep ball has not been on. He actually had one of the worst deep ball ratings in the whole league last year, and he's one of the greatest deep ball throwers in the history of football. And I'm not just saying that as a Steelers fan or as a Ben fan, but you saw what he did for Wallace. You saw what he did for Bryant. You saw what he did with Brown. He has a great deep ball, and if that's not in his arsenal, they're going to be in trouble because he needs to be able to throw that deep ball for the Steelers' offense to function at the level it's supposed to function at. Uh, but I think um, I think he'll be definitely ready, and I definitely think there'll be a steady dose of James Conner. I don't love that Devin Bush is going to have to play in a basically what's a complex trigonometry situation <laughs> playing the Patriots in his first NFL game. And he is a little bit undersized for a power running team, but I like Cam and Tewitt and the other boys who are healthy coming out there to, to bang heads with the Patriots offensive linemen in game one. Well, they, uh, the Patriots are kind of bad. I mean, you pointed to the offensive line. How about tight end? Lance Kendrick suspended yep. for the opener. Ben Watson suspended for the first four games. I mean, that is weak up front and that that's huge opportunity because it's all about pressure on Brady. Isn't that the way to attack him to make sure he's not getting any time to throw the two-yard passes? Yeah, it is. And now in this day and age, it's it's being able to shut down the run game a little bit because you saw even in the playoffs last year, the Patriots just abused every team they played, like battering ram run game with like 40 carries, and then that opens up all that play action and, and just uh, makes sure that the defensive linemen and the linebackers are a little bit more on their heels and not ready to just jump the snap and rush Tom Brady. So if you can stop some of that run game, that's going to be helpful. And I think the Steelers have the horses to do it, and it helps that Rob Gronkowski, old as he may be, that he's not there because you know he could be 60, and if he's playing the Steelers, he's getting three touchdowns and a couple pancakes. So you're right. I mean, losing their best lineman, losing their best you know, blocker, you know, tight end, not having that ready, having some of these other guys out. The Steelers might not be favored in this game, but I really think that at least where they stand right now, they are the better team on the field talent-wise. Of course, Bill Belichick's on the other side. And and I I sort of am on the fence about that thing, about the Steelers have beat them twice. Be- Belichick's going to be extra motivated to figure something out. And he's, you know, got a good look at a lot of these players on the Steelers team over the past few years. He's more familiarized with them. Um, and and also, when you look at the Patriots, the one big matchup I look at is they have excellent corners. I don't know if they're going to man up Stephen, uh, Stephon Gilmore on Juju, but if they do, uh, Juju might have a little bit of a rough day because Gilmore is a very good player. And then they have Jackson and, a couple, and the McCourties in the secondary. So they got some real guys in the secondary. We are going to have to see game one if these new Steelers receivers can make some nice one-on-one catches. 
Last night we were. Uh, I was reading an article in the Washington Post. It was another article about the how, how horrible the NCAA is, and I forget the guy. You know, NCAA football, especially quarterbacks, is like a checkers game. These guys get to their graduate year, and then they moved from Oklahoma to right. UCLA, and some guy moved, and he was given preliminary approval, and then he got yanked. And there are some reasons that the NCAA will make an exception to the rule that a player has to sit out a year. Like, you know, the mom's sick. He wants to move closer to home. One guy violated that rule because he transferred to a school that was 102 miles from his home. It wasn't within the 100-mile radius. Some some crazy mm. splitting the hairs technicality that makes you just want to – I won't say it to probably get in trouble, but just make you so angry at the NCAA – and I, I was just giving this some more thought about how unfair and, and how capricious the system is. And I'd ask you this, you know, anybody else can move, you know, a tuba player can transfer from Akron to Ohio state and not lose any time. Why is it the athletes lose time? Even coaches who commit all these, these violations that end up falling back on players are not penalized. So I have a, I have a proposal to make. Go on. A football major, mm. majoring in football, mm. not sports management, not sports analytics. Actually, and your minor would be your position. I'm a football major, minoring <laughs> in quarterback. Well, I like it. I'm we get rid of the classes. Let's get rid of the pretense, get rid of all the lies people are forced to say just to stay eligible. We'll just call it what it is finally. So you and I were talking about this a little bit last night, and I think this got springboarded just from the whole, you know, college athletes need to get paid thing. And I was saying, I mean, the, the NCAA, I, I don't enjoy college football that much. For, there's just so much turnover with the players. It's uh, just, I just the, the level of play isn't as high. I'm so addicted to NFL football. I don't like watching the second best kind of thing with with college, and I don't mean that to be insulting because obviously college has some uh, things that the NFL doesn't have, like in terms of the excitement of the rivalries and the crowds and everything like that. It can be electric to a level that the NFL only gets to in the playoffs or whatever. So I acknowledge that. But the other thing is also just the NFL has plenty of corrupt issues. We, we know that. You know that Colin Kaepernick never got back into the league and Nathan, Pe- Nathan Peterman was starting games in the meantime. But overall, the, N- the NCAA is disgusting and hilarious in how corrupt they are, whether it's making millions of dollars for administration and staff off of people who want to go see Derrick Henry play or Tua Tagovailoa play, and you get paid millions. Oh, we gave him an education. But by the way, he plays at Alabama, so we can't even let him go to classes. He needs to be in the film room, so that's just a prerequisite. You're not actually getting an education. Your job is to be a professional football player. We were talking about that last night. It's just sort of the outright sort of corrupt nature of, of the NCAA, the fact that they make them wait for three years before they go to the NFL, even though there are guys that are clearly physically ready to play in the NFL, like a Saquon Barkley, or the fact that you know, you're trying to say, oh, we're protecting these players from their, themselves. They're not going to get drafted by NFL teams who don't want... who They're not going to put a guy in there who can't get the job done, right? So you and I were talking about this. I think that they definitely need to design a system to pay the players who are bringing big-time money into the school. Um, I don't think that you need to get 
pay the quarterback at Lehigh or whatever when it's like the, the parents are coming to the game. I think that you need to play, pay the players at Clemson and Alabama and Michigan who are making other people rich who are coming to see these players play. We're not coming to see Harbaugh. Maybe some people are coming to see Harbaugh, but you were coming to see Shoelace Johnson or Chase Winovich or whoever it is, right? And I was talking about that. And Chris Sims makes a great point when it comes to college athletes and the fact that, yeah, if you were playing at Texas when he played there, you're not getting much of an education. You're actually you're, you're spending all your time on football. That's what has to be done if you're going to play for that team. But also for these guys – Football is a viable profession, and I know it's like 0.01% of the college athletes who are actually going to make it to the NFL and get a paycheck. Even if you play in the practice squad for a couple years, you're making incredible money, a lot more money than I'm making. It's a viable profession, just like engineering is a viable profession, or if you're going to you know, be a classical musician, the odds of you you know, making a living off of simply just performing, which is what your major is, the, the odds of that are the same as becoming a professional quarterback or whatever it is, but you can still major in it. And there are offshoots that you can shoot into in your professional career as a result of that, where you can support yourself as a living. And that's why I was saying like, maybe football should just be a major because for some people it's legit. And like I'm saying, it's not for a community college or whatever, but there are areas where I think that that should be acknowledged. And we're, we're kind of being tongue in cheek here, but the issues are real. U.S. women's national soccer team captain Carly Lloyd was invited to the Eagles training camp and she knocked down a 55-yard field goal with ease. And, and apparently through which uh, were uh, through narrower than typical goalposts. Yep. Yep. No rush, no pass rush or anything like that. And she took like a running start like it was a kickoff, you know, but uh, so people are trying to be nitpicky on that. But the bottom line is, yeah, like she... She showed up and booted a 55-yarder. She hasn't been training to be a kicker. So people are asking, should she get a shot at being an NFL kicker? Because she has said she's considering trying out next year. So what what are your thoughts? So I would absolutely do this in preseason. I don't know. Do you remember when Manu Bull and Muggsy Bowes were on um, Washington Bullets or were they the Wizards by that time? You, I don't even know if you're born. You know who no, Manu Bull So those guys – you know, one guy was seven seven, another guy was like five five. Right. And it, I mean, they were obviously Muggsy Bogues was a talented basketball player. He could dunk at that height, but I mean, it really they were really brought on as kind of a novelty and to bring people in. Ah, oh, it's Mike Tomlin. Hold on, shut this down. Tell him we're talking roster. Tell him we're talking Carly Lloyd. He won't have to worry yeah, about that. Yeah, we've already about already moved back. past. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It'd be a novelty. I mean, I, I don't think she could play. Look, I've seen a ton of guys, you know, just regular Joes kick from 50 yards. I don't think that that's uh, – I think that's hard, but for a lot of people, that's doable. It's doing it, as you said, with pads, with a rush on, with it, ur- all the urgency that is the NFL. It is different. I think that at the end of the day, you know, I'm not – you're not asking her to play receiver corner. By the way, I don't know if you can just hit the end button on those things and it just ignores the call. You might want to try that next time. But it's a landline. We still have a landline back well, at – It's a rotary the phone. There's no end button on a right, rotary phone. Right, right. You're right. You just kind of have to let that thing go unless you want to let the person on the other side hear you click the phone off. But listen, dude, if she can kick field goals, you're not asking her to tackle anybody. If she can do that, which she obviously can kick the ball at a world-class level, that is one thing where I do think women, you know, physiologically, they can't 
do uh, some of the certain things that like an NFL receiver could be. Like if you can find a, a, a girl who's going to run a four three, you know maybe she'll have a chance. But it's just physiologically not a, a realistic thing, and we haven't seen that happen. We're not asking for that. You're asking her to kick the ball, and when you're talking about that, they. She can kick a damn ball, and I'm sure she can kick as far farther than any kicker in the NFL. So, she, And also on top of that, she's used to dealing with pressure. No, not NFL playoff kick type of pressure. They weren't playing for those type of audiences, but you're playing on the largest scale for a long time with the U.S. women's national team. You're used to being a professional athlete. I could see how she could deal with that. And if you can make the kicks, who cares who it is? And there are some people out there who are making me laugh hysterically, saying, like, well, what if she has to make a tackle on a kickoff? Do not make tackles, kickers. We just told Chris Boswell, don't even try to tackle, or you're going to become Sean Sweesham, and your career is going to be over. If they get all the way to the kicker, all I need you to do is try and redirect it to someone whose job is tackling. I don't need you laying out for the guy. That's the dumbest excuse ever. How many... How many tackles does Vinatieri have in his career? He's been playing for 40 years. He probably has 10 tackles. And even then, they probably tell him now, get out of the way. So that's ridiculous. I do think that there is a chance that she could, you know, she, a lot of people could have been better than Boswell last season. A lot of people can be better than the Bears kickers. If she can kick the ball, which she has shown the ability to do on a world-class level, if she can adjust the football, there's literally no reason why she shouldn't be able to do it. We are on the precipice of what promises to be an unbelievable Steelers season. And we're looking forward to opening up that gate next week. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> 